0: That is quite a story. (laughs) If you could write it, I'd publish it. You don't believe it, do you?
1: Well, if I don't, what's my option? uh, I'm crazy.
0: I'm not crazy.
2: (laughs) Wait a minute! Wait
1: a
0: minute! Wait a minute, Doc! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Well, wait! Wait a minute, I see what's going on here. Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute!
2: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, the podcast that we uh, sit around and talk about a movie that one of us hasn't seen before. I am your host, Travis. And joining me this week, I have Christina.
1: Hello.
2: And Keith. What's up? And uh, this week, we're talking about the 1995 John Carpenter film, In the Mouth of Madness. Now, prior to this week, neither of you had seen that film, correct? Correct correct? Okay.
0: I, I saw a few minutes of it. Funny story, short, we got a Korean version with no English option.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, this movie's already confusing enough. I can't imagine trying to watch it in a different language. Yeah, it's I wouldn't it, it, know it was about a no-go. What was that, Christina?
1: I wouldn't know about confusing. I followed it along pretty well.
2: Well, okay, so when I say confusing about this movie, here's the thing with that. So this movie is cosmic horror. It's very Lovecraft-inspired horror. Uh, yes. And it plays with your perceptions and conceptions of reality. So when I say confusing, I kind of mean that. If Imagine trying to watch this movie if, if it were in French and you didn't know French. You would have a tough time following what's going on. I mean...
0: True, but that's yeah, true that of
1: that any movie. Yeah, that was my movie. problem with
0: the Korean version.
2: But I think that for the most part, even in English at first blush, you're going to have a little bit of trouble following exactly what's going on. That's not to say that you can't follow it and you can't work it out by the end of it, but as things are unfolding, it's messing with your head. I love that because I love... I am I am a huge fan of cosmic horror in general. I love, 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 love HP Lovecraft. Um, I recently picked up uh, a supposedly
0: complete collection of... I'll go through it, and I'll probably find one or two that
2: I like that are missing. Probably. Um, now it's funny because this movie was made in 1995, and in the last I would say 10 to 12 years, there's been a huge uh, resurgence of um, kind of Lovecraftian and Cthulhu uh, love going on. I, I keep love is huh? I keep using love, but it it's really what's been going on in the last 10 to 15 years. Um, so this movie, being 25 years ago, uh, really was kind of ahead of that curve. I remember reading some Lovecraft in high school, really falling, just falling for it. Um, one of my favorite video games I have ever owned was um, Eternal Darkness: Sanity's Requiem for the Nintendo GameCube, which is such straight a good up, game. That is a straight up Lovecraft story. Uh, you know, I. In fact, that game alone was worth it for me buying my Nintendo GameCube. They
1: really need to get a remaster of that.
2: God, wouldn't that be nice? If only the, the company that made it didn't completely implode. <laughs> uh, but that's a story that that's a discussion to have some other time on, on a gaming show. But I so I've always loved this uh, you know, this cosmic horror, this existential dread, this this, you know, whole the universe is Gigantic and uncaring, and it and and we're just a little tiny insignificant thing, and it's always fascinated me because obviously you, pretty much everybody goes through a point in their life where they they feel that way. Um, For some of us, that point is longer lasting. True, true. Um, but I just it's it's always fascinated me this idea of like things that are beyond our comprehension of reality, time and space, and the, the whole concept of like, you know, just creatures that exist outside of what we know and you can't even put into words what they how they appear, um, because to look upon them you go mad. Like that's what I've always just trying to understand the
0: geometry of the creature itself mm-hmm. would be enough to Unfathomable. Yep. like cheese off your
2: cracker. Exactly. Um so, you know, that right there makes this movie for me um, really entertaining and really interesting because uh, as much as I am a Lovecraftian fan there's a lot of movies based on his stuff that I haven't seen because it, there are times where it's tough for me to watch some of the um, I don't even want to say schlockier but the, the more kind of body horror gore versions of it because Lovecraft is really difficult to put on screen because so much of it exists inside your own head
0: yeah, and indescribable, unknowable, it's kind of hard to portray on a screen.
2: Right, exactly. And on top of that, what makes it difficult for me is that it seems like a lot of filmmakers want to immediately go to just hyper-gory, and that works sometimes, but oftentimes you go the route of something like uh, Reanimator, where, don't get me wrong, that movie's gory, but it's also very tongue-in-cheek and kind of funny. Um, now, you know, sometimes you have to do that but I just, it's hard to translate some of the, some of these stories to film and it's also sometimes a little tough to watch um, like I've heard really good things about I think it's The the Beyond um, which was another, right around the same time as Reanimator um, and just for me sometimes those are tougher to, to get a chance to watch this movie I think did a good job of mixing in the the makeup effects the gore effects the that kind of stuff with suspense and tension as yeah, well as a that really good job. Yeah, as well as that kind of reality warping stuff to where it's palatable to watch without losing anything. It's not perfect, but I do think it's very very good. I found this movie to be more suspenseful than scary,
0: but then again that also uh, goes back to my love of Lovecraft so
2: well yeah it's definitely more suspenseful than scary but it's also got that uh, that dread to it that uh, a good Lovecraftian story has where it ends and you don't get a fun resolution at the end it's just sort of ends and now you're like well shit
1: I love the ending in this one
2: <laughs> the ending so <laughs> alright so your first viewing of it um, well, I'm going to start with Christina you liked the ending you said
1: oh yeah it's very meta when you actually break it down
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um overall you liked it yes
1: oh yeah i love this movie okay again because of definitely the lovecraftian draw and i've grew up on lovecraft and poe and all of that during my teenage years and uh yeah i mean it it was it was hilarious i was laughing just as hard as he was
2: okay um yeah, and, you know, there's also some some Stephen King um, parallels going on with the, oh, yeah. the Sutter Kane character, and they actually name-dropped Stephen King, which I thought was kind of funny, but... Um...
0: Yeah, I noticed right away that, you know, the Sutter Kane has about the same cadence as Stephen King. Yeah. You know, and phonetically, you know, it starts out... They both start out the same way, so...
2: Now, Keith, what did you think of it overall?
0: Overall, I did not have much of a problem with this at all. I mean considering the time that it was uh, made and you know the the effects i believe held up fairly well there mm-hmm. were very few in, you know things about the movie that i called as i saw them um like the the red line that he had to cut out mm-hmm. that that was the only I and mean, looking back that's the only thing that i could think of looking back that i could say i called it yeah but you know and okay. i I loved how uh, the Pickman Motel or the Pickman Hotel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the portrait of Richard Upton Pickman, yeah. right there. Oh yeah, that was that was really well done. Um, what and I also th- liked how there it was a painting in there that was super creepy too. Yeah, kind of tying that reference together.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think of the ending?
0: I I liked it. I wasn't sure how it was going to end, but I I felt satisfied with the, with the ending. It felt appropriate for what they were doing,
2: because obviously the movie and the story takes uh, uses the the um, common framing device that a lot of Lovecraft stories did as well of you know being told in flashback. Because you start mm-hmm. off the movie and Sam Neill's character uh, John Trent's being taken into the asylum. And now the doctor comes in to talk to him and, and then he gets to recount his story of what happened, leading him to being committed so you got that mm. framing device and then it comes back at the end but I did like how it it really leaves you like my first viewing of this years ago the ending didn't I liked the ending, but it caught me a little bit off guard just because i didn't I didn't plan for it in my head um upon further viewings of it, uh, I love the ending because it just, at that point, reality is unraveled and there are no rules anymore. And now you can watch the movie of what you just did. Uh, and I love that. I think that was a great, uh, meta, like funny, um, Uh just, just a, a very appropriate ending for this film. Um, so are either, let's talk about John Carpenter a little bit, because this was a John Carpenter film. He did the music for it. He directed it. Um, Speaking of the music, I love the guitar intro and outro. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. Well, it's very John Carpenter. It's very, In fact, I had a note that it uh, tonally, especially with the music, falls somewhere between The Thing and Big Trouble in Little China. You know, yeah. on the tone spectrum, it kind of falls in between those two. Um, so I am a John Carpenter fan. Uh, Christina, I believe you are. I've
0: enjoyed everything of his that I've seen.
2: Yeah. Now, this was... Many consider this to be kind of his last great film. Um, This one was a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes, which for John Carpenter... uh, Now, granted, this... you know When you're looking at stuff that's more than a few years old on Rotten Tomatoes, you're going by... They they went through and kind of handpicked the reviews at the time and then built the score off of that. But if you look at his movies that he directed... It's very up and down, you know. um, The Thing is 84%. Halloween 2 is 29%. uh, Escape from New York is 87%. And then you've got Prince of Darkness was 56%. Um, He did Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I forgot he did that one. Uh, That was 23%. That one really bombed. But, you know, after this, so he did In the Mouth of Madness. His next movie was Village of the Damned, which did not do well. Um, And then he went on to do Escape from L.A., John Carpenter's Vampires, Ghosts of Mars, and then pretty much kinda of retired for almost ten years. Um I did I I really
0: enjoyed both of the Escape from movies. I mean so yes, they're, But they're, New they're York really... was definitely
2: the superior one. Well, yes. Escape from New York is much, is far superior to LA. LA was I believe that LA had the better ending though. Maybe, but I think I think Escape from LA was almost a like almost kind of poking fun at himself at that point, like self-parody in a way, because it was it was everything that they did in Escape from New York, again, just amped up and and kind of pushed to a different level. I don't know. I liked both. I saw Escape from L.A. Um, first because that movie came out, you know, I was around 15, 16, um, and I hadn't had a chance to see Escape from New York yet. Um so, Escape from L.A. is always going to have kind of a you know special place in my my heart, just because of the age I was when I saw it and how much I enjoy you know Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken. But Escape from New York is definitely the better movie. Um, I,
0: I have we, oh, we can discuss those movies probably more in depth in another show.
2: We could, but I do want to talk a little bit about John Carpenter because I kind of have this love hate, and it's not even a love hate relationship. this like. A love meh A love, yeah. It's kind of a love meh Like for the most part, I like all his movies. You know, I'm a big. I love the first Halloween. Phenomenal. Uh, I really liked Assault on Precinct Precinct 13. I liked The Fog, his version from 1980. The Thing is one of the better suspenseful uh, movies I've ever seen. Um, you know, I like Christine. Starman is great. Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh huh um they live is great it's just he went through this period with memoirs of an invisible man that i didn't think was very good um village of the damned i haven't seen but i've not heard good things about he started to kind of escape from la was okay i actually didn't hate vampires i don't know why he he just kind of got disenfranchised his movies didn't make money and i think that was the biggest thing and he and it's sad because he influenced so many directors and yet his movies never seem to do financially as well as they should have.
1: I loved Ghosts, Ghosts of Mars. I saw that in the theater.
2: I actually have not seen that one. That is one that I hear from a lot of people not named Christina that is that they think it's terrible. Now, I want to see it at some point. Um,
1: I have it on DVD if you like.
2: Well, we'll mark that for a future episode. But um, it's just... I think when when Carpenter hits, I love his stuff because because he doesn't he doesn't take anything too seriously. Even his movies that don't have that uh that tongue-in-cheek aspect like The Thing or yeah, The Thing is not in any way uh doesn't have any of that kind of humor that say Big Trouble in Little China has or They Live has, but it still has there's something about The Thing and the way that he put it together that's just really really good. So it's I don't know. I'm I'm a John Carpenter fan. I like his music, and for the most part, I think it always fits. There's a lot of people out there that don't like him or think that he's... I have heard on various other shows that uh, people say, you know, he's not a good director, but they like his movies. I think he is a good director. I just think he had visions of what he wanted to do, and he made his movies, and unfortunately, there weren't enough people that had the same mindset to like his movies.
0: I, I've, I've either enjoyed his movies or when they haven't really, you know, really struck a chord with me and, and stuck, they're not bad, but, you know, they're just not great, you know. They're, they're, it, it seems to me like they're always enjoyable, they're always good, they're just
2: not always great. That's, I think, kind of fair. Now, are either of you familiar with what he calls his Apocalypse Trilogy? Yep. I am not. Okay, so uh, Christina is, but Keith, let me give you a little, uh, little background on that. So three, in recent episodes when we talked about Hot Fuzz and World's End, and that was the three flavors of Cornetto trilogy, and they were tied together by the fact that it was the same director and stars. Carpenter did what he calls his Apocalypse trilogy. They're unrelated movies. It's The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and this movie, In the Mouth of Madness. But he calls them thematically a trilogy because they're all about uh, the destruction of, um, what is it? The destruction of self, the destruction of God, and the destruction of reality by, by people. Um, so they, they follow the same theme of, like, Apocalypse. Because if you think about it, The Thing, um, you've both seen The Thing, right?
0: No. Yep.
2: No, you haven't, Keith? I have not. <sighs> we need to fix that. Um, because
0: greatly, <laughs> because okay. you're going to um, hear a lot of that from me on this
2: show. Um, yeah. So, oh, man, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much more about it other than it's got a very apocalyptic feel to it because there's a lot of isolation that goes on with it. It's not giving anything away to say that it's about a group of researchers that are in the Antarctic and they're stuck there there. So there's this isolation there's this uh, I think I remember hearing about that
0: much of it about it.
2: Yeah. But. Um, so that that has kind of an apocalyptic feel to it. And then Prince of Darkness, um, have either of you seen that one? Yes. Okay.
1: I take a guess. <laughs> I can't I
2: if I have seen it, I cannot remember it. Other than knowing that like Donald Pleasance is in it and kind of what it's about. But it follows the same sort of an idea of this apocalyptic stuff. This has to that has to do with uh, religion and the church, and it's one that's been on my radar to watch um, again to see if maybe I have seen it before. But um... I, I think I might enjoy that one quite a bit because
0: I I really enjoy a lot of um, God. I'm gonna catch flack for this uh, religious religious mythologies mm-hmm. um, of different of different stripe and color so you know i i always find them entertaining
2: yeah and in the themes
0: brawling about them
2: yeah and the themes of uh of prince of darkness are kind of interesting so that'll have to go on the list as well because i think it would be a good one to watch um and then you have in the mouth of madness which is kind of a destruction of reality um brought upon by people um and it's really that—that that is what happens because in, in the movie Sutter Kane, basically, he is rewriting reality. Uh, he's given this power by these old ones, and I like the fact that they don't explain it. You don't have to explain beyond, "Hey, the these things can do this," and here's what's happening. Because in a true Lovecraftian sense, there's no way that we would understand it anyway. So why try to go through the motions of explaining something that? that you're just not going to be able to
0: it. It, yeah, it goes into the whole, they're so powerful. They're so vast and knowing that in part you wouldn't understand it. And in another part, it's just below them to explain it to you.
2: Right. But they can grit. They can gift Sutter Kane this, this ability to, I did like how they, they did say, um, in one part of the movie where he talks to him and he says, what was it? Uh, Something along the lines of, like, um, as people read my book, they can't distinguish reality from fantasy, and that, that disconnect is what gives the the creatures the power to, to come through. Um, so I thought that was pretty pretty cool. There's a couple really good lines in this movie, um, too. Like, reality isn't what it used to be, uh, was one that really kind of...
0: What about the people who don't read?
2: Yeah. Well, there
0: is a movie.
2: Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, or... I can't help it. He wrote me this way because, you know, the movie really takes a turn when they get to Hobbs End. Um, Before that, it's it's interesting. So, first of all, the cast, Uh, the cast of this movie is actually pretty impressive. Sam Neill, um, who, boy, can Sam Neill play crazy and can he play creepy or what? Uh, Uh,
1: Yes, it's something
2: uh, it's something about his voice. His voice is almost too calm even when he's freaking out, you know, at the beginning of the movie, when he's like, I'm not insane. I'm not, it's still so calm. And that to me is kind of unsettling to, to observe. I've thought that in every, I mean, obviously he got started early on playing, you know, Damien in the third Omen movie, but, um, you know, even his his heroic roles where he was Dr. Grant in Jurassic park, he's still kind of like, you're not entirely sure. Or, uh, I love the Merlin miniseries um, that came out in nineteen ninety eight. Always
0: seems to sound at least sound a little bit calmer than he should be. Yes, yes, and that that either that either makes him sound crazy or very capable.
2: Yes, um, but you got you got him Jürgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane. Love him; he's he's fun in just about everything he does. That wonderful German accent. Um, you got David Warner, who's in the movie for what five minutes. Um, at the in book ending it but uh i had forgotten that he was in it and um he's always a treat uh another guy that always plays kind of crazy or a little creepy is john glover he was the um the head of the mental institution mm. um you might remember him he's done he's like a character actor he's been around forever he was in Scrooge. he was in payback he was in gremlins 2 um he was in Batman and the Robin. Manneri- his
0: mannerisms kind of reminded me of the guy in the second Ghostbusters movie. Yeah.
2: Oh, Peter McNichol? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. But he, he kind of always plays, or at least I always remember him playing these kind of slightly weird and, I don't know, um, interesting characters. But he's always fun to watch just because you never never fully, I never fully know where he's coming from when he Gets into a character, but you and then you got the biggest stunt casting in the whole thing: Charlton Heston, yep, as Jackson Harglow. Now, if that's not an old school Hollywood name, I don't know what is. But yeah, uh, Charlton well, Heston playing old
0: school Hollywood person, you know, desk persona that he brought in.
2: And it's funny because I wrote that down. Like that scene just felt like old Hollywood, the way that they were, the way because you got. I mean, obviously Charlton Heston is old Hollywood. So the way he's going to read lines is going to be like that. And you, it's like him and Sam Neill kind of playing that off, and, off of each other, but then all of a sudden the next scene, Sam Neill's dropping F-bombs, and it sounds like a movie from the mid-'90s. Um, my first viewing, that, that clashed a lot in my brain. Um, this time around, it made a lot more sense. Uh, just kind of wrapping my head around what this movie was, was it made more sense that you would have these kind of conflicting styles of dialogue and like, as your reality is, is constantly morphing in this movie, really. Um, But um, two other bits of uh, fun casting um, was Happy Gilmore's grandma. Uh, (laughs) Frances Bay was Mrs. Pickman. That was the first thing that popped into my head when she came out. Um, And boy, did that character go a little weird or what?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, I I kind of expected
0: it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And seeing the name, I'm like, "This is going to be good." Well, Apparently,
1: yeah, they 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 also name drop it from within the book as she's she's talking about the book as they're going up to the hotel.
2: Yeah, what's what's great is um the creature that she ends up turning into was a miniature. Uh yeah. They originally were going to do a guy in a suit, and John Carpenter's like, eh, "I ain't buying that. Let's let's use the miniature." Um, and then the other uh the other one was um the old man in the bar the one that shoots himself with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. That was uh, Vigo the Carpathian. Hmm. Wilhelm... So there
0: was a Ghostbusters 2 person. In there it. was.
2: Wilhelm von Humburg. He was also in Die Hard, um, but he, he was that character, I, and I remembered him. Um, oh, and then the one uh, that I forgot about, and I didn't know this um, at all, both viewings of it, uh, was Hayden Christensen's first film role as the Paperboy. Paper Boy. Yep. So that paper boy it, went on to become. On Darth top of Vader.
0: that, his first uh, run-in with industrial light and magic. Yeah,
2: yep. Who did? Uh, he did. They did some pretty good work on this. Hmm. Um, yeah. I thought the effect of Sutter Kane kind of tearing open reality like a book page worked. I thought that looked pretty good, especially for '95. Oh yeah. For a I film mean, with an eight million dollar budget.
0: That wow! Even even in '95, that's kind of wow that they pulled all that off. Then.
2: Well, so. me, Compare this to last week's movie, which was Tank Girl, which came out the same year, right? That was 95, and that had a $25 million budget. And I'm sorry, but as much as I will defend and enjoyed Tank Girl, as I talked about last week, this movie, you could see where the budget went, in my opinion, a lot better. Um, you know, And I praised the, the Ripper costumes in Tank Girl, but for this movie to have a third the budget of that one, and the creature effects that they used here. Now, granted, they were more sparing; they weren't on screen as much. But I thought they looked as good, if not better.
0: The set, the set pieces were definitely uh, like, like in the asylum or the hallway that he has to run down in, near the end. Mm-hmm. You know, those those set pieces; those look like they cost quite a bit to get a hold of.
2: Yeah, and now those are the interiors. The exteriors were kind of cool. Um, because, let's see if I can find it. Uh, Especially that church. So the exterior of that church is called the Castle of the Transfiguration, and that's a real church that exists in uh, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly like that. It's just sitting in the middle of a field. Um, And I've seen that in this movie, and I want to say I saw it in something else, um, but I definitely always remember it from this one, because it does look like it was built specifically for this movie just like as a shell in a field like it doesn't look like it should be anything that that actually exists but it does it's a it's a slovak greek catholic church um in uh in ontario canada um so that's a real location and then um the asylum the exteriors for the asylum is actually a water treatment plant in canada um,
1: You're no longer able to do any filming.
2: You can't film it anymore, but uh, I always remember that location because I loved the show The Pretender, and that was the uh, exteriors that they used for the the place called the Center. So it was in. They showed that in almost every episode of The Pretender. So I always I always associate it with that. But I thought those were cool, like uh, external uh, sets, because that water treatment plant just looks cool from the outside. And you can believe that it would be like this weird looking mental hospital. Um, especially with the way that they designed the interiors for it and those long hallways. Um so I like that. Another thing. Yeah. Um the room numbers
0: that he was <laughs> in.
2: hmm Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they put in him in cell nine. number nine. And cell number
0: nine. They give him room number nine yep. at the Pickman Motel, and then after his whole world gets turned upside down, he's at that motel in room number six. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep, there's little thing. See, it's little things like that that make a movie like this to me better, because it's these little touches that show that the people making it really care. Um, I'm always a fan of that. Um, oh, so I'm curious to know your favorite moment in the movie, because there's a lot of moments in this um, that can kind of stick out. So, what was? What was either a moment that stuck out for you as something that you're just going to remember or that was your favorite? And I'll, let's start with Keith.
0: I really like the part where the doors were slamming on the church with that kid. Mm. And then after a while, it's Sutter Kane there. Um, now that was a good part for me. Um, I also liked the, uh, the alley scene with the cop thrashing on the kid. Oh yeah. Um, you know, just prior to that was about when I called it with the uh, the red line, mm. but still, I mean, that's the only part of the movie I I called. So,
2: okay, how about you, Christina?
1: Uh, basically, pretty close to the beginning, where the guy with the axe comes through the window and says, "Do you read Sutter Kane?"
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's great because here was here's one of my criticisms with the the movie and one of my criticisms of Carpenter in general that scene i like i like that scene a lot it's very effective however picture it this way okay he did kind of a traditional filmmaking technique where he had the long shot and then he would intercut with coverage and he would show sam neill and he would show the other guy and he would show sam neill again and then show that wide shot or the two shot with the background and all that imagine because I'm sure there are other directors that would have done this, and maybe Carpenter wanted to do it in the first place and changed his mind, just sticking with that two-shot of the two guys sitting at the table, because the shot starts out with the guy coming out of that building across the street. Just imagine how that tension would have ratcheted up if all you saw was that it never cut away, and you just saw him slowly coming across the street. Because at first, your brain, obviously, you're going to be looking at the foreground.
0: I did think that myself you know you're just you're just watching these two guys talking and then you see this guy just walk out of a building yeah people are kind of like what what the he just walks straight through traffic
2: yeah hops a fence would, and i mean
0: yeah i mean at least by the time he got midpoint through the street you would realize that somebody's just walking through there and these guys are having a conversation they're not looking out the window they're not concerned
2: i just i think that would have been a much like an even more impactful scene had they shot and done it that way and cut it together, you know, instead of cutting together what they did, leaving it as a single static shot, I think could have been more impactful. Um, But I did like that. And was it me or did, because the voice that came out of him was not, did not sound like it matched his face. It sounded like Ghostface from Scream, but I can't find that anywhere like in IMDb or anywhere that that's who did that voice. But was it me or did the, do you read Sutter Kane sound like Ghostface? It, not really? I mean
0: I have seen Scream but I'm just not really super familiar with
2: it. I don't know. I it just the uh, by the way the eyes, the contacts yeah. that they had him wear, the, yeah, uh, those were creepy. That was a good touch. Ooh. Um so that one was one that I really liked but the one that sticks with me um and uh, every time I see it it's just a it's a nope is um the contortionist doing the spider walk. <laughs> mm. Yep. Uh, cause that the sound effect they put with
0: it was a little bit much. I mean, it it seemed, it kind of seemed a little too campy at that point, but that's me.
1: I, I, I've seen enough spider walking in movies to where I just giggle and scream. Yes.
2: Well, what did it for me was not just the spider walk, but the fact that her head was upside down and then she turns over. So that like kind of, that pushed it to a different level in my opinion, um, Really, really effective for me, because <laughs> that just gets a that gets a note for me every time somebody's doing something that unnatural. Um, yep.
1: And uh, the trivia on that is the portion that they had do that was wearing a mask and she couldn't see. Right. So She had to do do everything by sound.
2: Yeah. Yep. She had to be led around by uh, John Carpenter, I believe. Um, no, I that that's the one that got me that. And um, I just really like that that scene where he reaches up and just tears through the fabric of reality. And, and because it's weird, he's kind of like, you know, I'm ushering them in, I'm doing this. And he's like, I can only hold them back for so long. You have to go. It's, you know, there's just this like back and forth kind of going on with Sutter Kane there. And I like that a lot.
1: Yeah. And it was all a play to get him to act the way that he wanted him to act.
2: Mm -hmm. I also thought it was really kind of cool how they, uh, they mess around with, you know, when he gets back and he's talking to Charlton Heston at the end of the movie and Charlton Heston's like, "Wait, but you you brought me the manuscript months ago. The book's already in print." You know, the movie comes out next month. Like just further unraveling everything for John Trent. Uh I thought was was pretty effective. Um uh, because really something I don't know of that happening in a movie prior, you know, that type of storytelling where they're like, "I need to stop what's going on." Well, dude, it's already happened. Now, that's not to say that storytelling hasn't happened, but this is one of the earlier movies I can think of where they really, you know, subverted that trope and kinda of went that direction. Um, but yeah, I just I liked that and like, you know, he, he's like, I don't know who this Linda Styles woman is that you're talking about, but I sent you alone. Um the that whole just the way everything unraveled for him, I really liked. Um, it was a good depiction of kind of madness, in my opinion. Because it wasn't yep. It wasn't cartoony madness that he was going through. He didn't have these like manic episodes necessarily. You know, he started out with one From that
0: part where he keeps trying to drive out of town.
2: Well, yeah, there's
0: that. Um, but I'm not saying that's cartoony. I'm just saying that's another another you know cheese sliding off the cracker.
2: Oh yeah, kind
0: of thing for him.
2: Well, what's great is he holds on to that cynicism that he has and his skepticism of whether or not this is real all the way through. I mean, really, right up until probably he gets out of the mental institution or maybe even going into the film at the end before he really gives into it and just sort of, because I don't, I don't feel as though when he's telling the doctor, you know, I want to stay here. Like, I don't think he's fully given into it yet. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but
1: I mean, he probably gives in when he sees the orderlies on the other side of the door getting destroyed by whatever creatures.
2: Yeah, I guess that could be probably or about when he gave it. The storm
0: just suddenly stops.
2: Yeah. Um, sorry, I've, got, I've still got that picture up of the guy with the crazy eyes, and it's messing with my head. i got to bounce off of that. <laughs> um, it's
1: it. It's hypnotoad eyes.
2: They are. They're creepy. Um, oh, okay. So when he's on the bus and uh, Sutter Kane shows up in his dream, which, by the way, that's another thing that they did in this movie, that it's tropey as all hell. The dream within a dream, the waking up, and then you wake up again. But, that, but they did it a couple of times, so it's something
0: that it seems like this guy might be prone to.
2: Well, A, it's they did it a couple of mm. times, they did it well, and even though it's tropey, it gets me every single time because it's happened to me. I've had that where I've woken up in a dream to think that I'm waking up only to wake up from that dream, and it really messes with your head. So that affects me probably more than a lot of people um, when I see that in a movie, so that was that was really cool to me. But when he does it in the bus, and the last thing he says is, "Did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue?" And then he wakes up, you know, and, and everything's blue. If you notice too, all the eyes on the close-ups are blue.
1: In hmm. all of the close-ups in the entire movie, yeah, are all blue.
2: So that's another one of those little attention to detail things that uh, I noticed. I didn't I didn't notice it. I read the trivia on it, and then thinking about it, I'm like, oh
0: yeah, of course. Yeah, every Um, eye I remember seeing, yeah.
2: I did like that they put all the uh, crew and the fake movie poster outside the the film. Uh, The only thing different about it was it's starring John Trent, Linda Stiles, and Jackson Harglow. Um, (laughs) But I thought that was a nice touch. Um, Yeah, I definitely had some effective imagery in this. And they didn't have to overplay their... Because whenever you have, like, the Wall of Monsters that scene could have really fallen apart and it sort of toes the line of like what what you can take seriously but they did a good job of showing you just enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you ever saw a full creature.
2: No. Even the the, the Mrs. Pickman, Pickman creature, you never you know, it was still shadowy it was dark and it was like weird weird angles and, and all that. They never over Exposed their creature effects and I appreciate that because it keeps it in your head which is going to make it that much more potent for each individual person.
1: Yeah, I mean, they did the same thing with The Thing.
2: Yeah, very true. Very true. Now that, I will say, I think the creature effects in The Thing were better than they were in this um, but there was a, that was also more of a focus in The Thing I think than this movie was. This movie was a lot more about kind of playing with your head. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love craft units. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and really what it comes down to is that's what worked in this movie. For any of its flaws, for any of the um, kind of odd story beats or things that don't necessarily, that you know somebody might look at as a plot hole, A, you can kind of explain, you can hand wave explain away any plot holes because the, there isn't really any reality to follow. Because it's all unraveling. But for me, that's what makes this movie work, is even with its flaws, it's the best, in my opinion, that I have seen to date, interpretation of a Lovecraftian-style cosmic horror on screen. Okay. I don't know. Now, Keith, I know you've seen a few um, other kind of Lovecraftian-inspired or even adaptations, um, yeah,
0: there was a. There's one I'm kind of fond of, and it's it's somewhat newer, but they did it as a silent movie. Uh, I think it might have Jeff Bridges in it. I'm not a hundred percent. Call of the Call of Cthulhu. If um, it's I'm trying to look for, it it's a it's a black and white silent, but it's newer, so it's you know the, he, he's got an eye patch and everything, so it's. I was pretty sure it was Jeff Bridges, but I could be entirely wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again.
2: I just put in the chat the the link to that one, and maybe you can see if that's the one you're thinking of, because that's the one that... The one that I put in the chat is the one that I saw in my sci-fi horror writing class, um, which is from 2005, black and white, silent film. Yes. Okay. Yep. it's not Jeff Bridges. Okay. (laughs) Um, In fact, it's probably nobody you've ever heard of, but... uh, that was a good adaptation. I will give you that.
0: Yeah, I I feel that that one felt the the narrative of the story itself fairly well.
2: Yeah, I, I could get behind that. Um,
0: especially especially when you know they're they're in on that island, you know, in Raleigh and the the geometry just seems off.
2: Yeah, that's very true. That had a very uh, oh, what's the old? Was it Cabinet of Doctor Caligari? I have no clue. Um, it had that kind of feel <laughs> to it. It had kind of a, the old silent film, like German expressionist uh, feel to it when they get to the, yeah. um, the island with the way the geometry was. Yeah. Um, I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah. Christina, have you got a favorite uh, kind of cosmic horror Lovecraft uh, adaptation or inspiration?
1: Oh, I'm an animator that I've always growing up. And then, uh, Endless, which is kind of new, very well uh,
2: done. Uh, I kind of lost you there.
1: You lost audio. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Reanimator series, the movie, okay. the movies, uh, and Endless.
2: Oh, okay. I haven't seen Endless.
1: Very highly recommended.
2: Hmm. Endless. I'll have to check that one out. I'm always up for. Uh, is it the Endless? Yes. Okay. Oh, that Could have is... been in the last last few years. Yeah, 2017 looks like UFO uh, Death UFO Death Cult? Does that sound right? Yep. Okay.
1: Yep. That's the one. Okay. Yeah, and The Void was interesting as well.
2: That's one that I heard about and I haven't seen yet, but uh seemed interesting to me. That, that was one for the list? Yeah, that was a Kickstarter uh crowdfunding really? one, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Film SAC watched that one and that's where I heard about it. Um but, uh, yeah, I do I mean, I don't know. For me, this still, I, maybe it's because of my love of John Carpenter. Maybe it's because Sam Neill is just Sam Neill, and even though he's from New York, they let him, he just kind of kept his New Zealand accent, because why not? He does always sound the same in every movie, if you notice. I, very rarely do I notice him kind of affect a different uh, a different accent. Even as, like, Grant, he didn't seem, he still seemed like, not you know not 100% indistinguishable, I guess, would be the word I would use. But I love him. I mean, he's just great in so many things. Um,
1: I really loved him in Event Horizon.
2: He was, boy, there's the creep factor right there. And that's, see, that's a role where that calm voice really comes through, where he just always seems completely just calm, no matter what's going on. And it's unsettling. Oh all right um, I'm gonna mark myself down here All right well that uh, that sounds pretty good so we're gonna kind of wrap it up' um, we'll, we got a little bit of a gap there so I'll be able to cut that out but we'll wrap this up because um, we've done almost an hour um, So one thing
0: I'd like to point out is that I still enjoyed this movie and I feel that the the effects held up very well.
2: I would agree yeah. with that
0: Jenner? Generally, the practical
1: effects, when shot and used in darkness, will always look and hold up.
2: I would agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the music overall really helps, uh, really really works. You know, some people don't like Carpenter's music tonally, and I can see where that can happen, but that guitar in the intro and the outro, I just think worked. I, I dug the opening with the whole printing press kind of opening credits. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I would be interested to see this movie if it were made within, like, say, the last three years just with the um, kind of filmmaking techniques that have been going on um, in horror movies. I think would be interesting. Now, to break with theme uh, from previous episodes of this show, uh, I do not think that this would make a good series, um, not in the same way that other ones we've talked about would. I think it works best as kind of a self-contained story, just because of like all the, where do, where would you go from here type of thing, right? You know, there's only and it would be
0: level. hard to have a series where you have to leave so much up in the air. Yeah, if you're watching a series, you're going to want to know more just to be able to invest in the series. Yes,
1: I and mean, the the only way that I could see a series being done with this is if it was just them investigating the strange going ons in the in Hobbs, um, and just nothing coming from it
2: yeah i just i don't think that it would work as well um no but uh i would be really interested to see not necessarily i don't i don't think i want a remake of this movie i just think i want kind of the the idea of this movie done today because i think as we move forward in kind of the the film the history of filmmaking i think you're getting more and more the ability to make a movie in this genre that can work uh, as good as this did tonally and thematically, but maybe do a little bit better commercially. Um, It's hard to say. I mean, this is a, a very niche um, or niche, depending on who you want to talk to um, kind of a story. I've heard it both ways. (laughs) And, uh, and it really, it's going to be a very narrow audience regardless of what you do. Because cosmic horror to me is the hardest, um, the hardest type of horror to get into. It's interesting because when I took I took a class. I in, find
0: it the the one type of horror that's really difficult to actually put into film.
2: Well, definitely it's harder to put into film. But it, it was funny because my sci-fi sci-fi horror writing class, um, or sci-fi and fantasy writing class is what it was called because the horror is basically dark fantasy. Horror was a lot of the early stuff that we talked about, the dark fantasy um, aspects of things. And I think that as films go, it definitely is the hardest to adapt. I think that cosmic horror and Lovecraftian style horror and Stephen King stuff make great, wonderful novels because you can get it in your head and you can can fill in all the parts. Um, You don't have to have somebody hold your hand and show you what they think it is. Um, so that's why I think it works better in book form than it does in movie form. Um, but I just think that we're getting better and better at at making films that um, don't have to follow a certain formula. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think people are more craving audiences are craving something that doesn't follow a formula exactly.
2: It's also true.
0: Like they they've seen enough of the old you know it's done this way. This is just the way you do it. No, do it different. Surprise me. Well, look, Show me something I haven't seen.
2: Yeah, I mean, look at some of the more recent uh, Stephen King adaptations have been a lot better. It was phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. And from what I understand, yeah. it, I'm, I'm really looking forward to It Chapter 2. I I enjoyed Pet Cemetery. It didn't do great, and it wasn't perfect, but it was it was a good adaptation, I felt. Um, I missed
0: a whole slew of movies that I wanted to see recently.
2: Well, there'll be times, including
0: Pet Cemetery,
2: but I just think that we're getting better with doing non-slasher horror, um, and there's certainly a place for slasher movies. And John oh, Carpenter, yeah. John Carpenter certainly is, you know, one of the godfathers of the slasher genre. Obviously, he he helped birth that, but um, I think that it's just it's nice to see some adaptations of stuff that isn't just somebody stalking somebody else and stabbing them, um, and isn't uh, you know hostile. Or uh, even the, the Saw sequels. The first Saw, I will defend as I enjoyed that movie um, for what it was, but then it just became a formula of we're going to push this out every year and got stale. But I kind of went
0: EA Sports there.
2: Yeah. So I would like to see more, um, more stuff along the lines of this. You know, In the Moth of Madness, I just think was really well executed. Um, it's really hard for me to divorce this film from John Carpenter. Um I really think this is a I mean it is a John Carpenter movie. It's got that same, you know, tone. Um it's got not as much humor as uh some of his other stuff, but certainly not completely devoid of humor either. Um and I just really really enjoyed it. Uh it's it definitely I mean I I'm not going to say it's one of my favorite movies or even one of my favorite John Carpenter movies, but I really enjoyed this movie.
1: Okay. Agreed.
2: Well, I'm glad that you guys got to experience it and got to got to see it for the first time, um, and that you both enjoyed it. Um, it sounds like Christina maybe liked it a little bit more than Keith, but it's, I still it's enjoyed right the movie. My I,
0: yeah, it, it was. I definitely found it enjoyable, and I do not regret watching it.
2: Well, good, and then we can make up for you having to watch Tank Girl last week.
0: I, I think I really would have enjoyed that one more had I seen it closer <laughs> to '95, with my mindset back then.
2: Probably, yeah. I just thought and it was it funny. And
0: then I would have the nostalgia of watching a movie that I loved, you know, and be like watching Mallrats again, you know? Yeah.
2: No, I get it. I get it. I just I just thought it was funny that, you know, the three, I had three of you and had never seen it before, and none of you liked it.
1: <laughs> Tiss. It's well, a good movie. It's, I, I, just...
2: it's in, I, I like the movie, okay? I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but I liked it. But this, I think, was both good and I liked it. So. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I would definitely put this over Tank, girl. There's no joke about that.
2: Well, good. All right. Well, uh, again, thank both of you for joining me this week. Um, it sounds like next week we're probably going to be watching Snowpiercer. Um, I have never seen that before. Uh, is one that I really wanted to see and just kind of fell, fell off my radar for a little while. So um, I don't know yet. I know yet. what that's like. Yeah. I don't know yet who is going to be on the episode, but it's uh, looking like that's what we're going to be uh, – we're going to be watching now um, with next week being we'd be recording normally on Mother's Day. Um, I don't know yet how that's going to all work out. Um, hopefully we don't have to skip a week, but we'll see what happens. Um, Maybe
0: do a day late, day early, one or the other. Yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah, next on the list is Snowpiercer. So I'm uh, looking forward to that. Um, but, again, thank you, Christina. Always. And thank you, Keith. Pleasure to be here. All right, and uh, as always, enjoy your movies. This has been Wait, You Haven't Seen. pain.